0: Welcome to Labrie. Uh, I think many of you have been here, but if it's your first time, we're so glad that you're here. This is uh, Friday Night Talks at Labrie. We have a series every for six weeks every few months. and, uh, and Often Liz or I are lecturing, but sometimes we bring in guest lecture. We're very glad. Uh, to have Brittany Silverda here, co-pastor at Victoria Christian Reformed Church, to to talk to us about prayer, uh, foundational prayer. I'll let you say more about that in a minute. But uh, I just want to say a few things about Labrie is that uh, we welcome people who are Christian and we welcome people who are not Christian. Uh, We often have people who are in our midst who aren't Christian and who are, and, and that's even true tonight, and so it's really wonderful to think about how to hear the topic in the lens, and and people asking honest questions to you about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what happens is Brittany will be speaking for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so. Kill the
1: spirits. <laughs> Kill the
2: spirits.
0: <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so thankful. I've known Brittany for seven years now. Is that right, David? Uh, and if you want to see, there are lots of people here that are not, that are all socially distancing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one foot
0: apart, social distancing. Stage uh, three. Stage three, yes. Stage three, it sounds terrible. But uh, yeah, anyway, I'm glad that you're here, Brittany. I I have always appreciated your posture toward prayer, your posture toward people. And uh, and actually, the last time Brittany stood here speaking, she was at our housewarming. That's right. Our groundbreaking, right. our opening. Oh. David spoke, and we asked Brittany to pray. Mm-hmm. And so I respect you and your <laughs> prayer life, even though uh, uh, I'm not holding you up as a saint, but just a fellow saint in the land. Thank you. And so I'm just really glad that you're here. So we're looking forward to hearing from you. So uh, I'll give you the floor. and. Uh, And then afterwards, if you want to ask a question, just unmute yourself and ask, or someone will ask from here, and I'll try to repeat your question so people can hear. I
3: I love that you said a fellow saint in the land. That's how I feel about myself. That is how I feel about many of you here. Um, And it's important to me that you know that, like, what I'm doing tonight is um, part testimony and part theological reflection. Um, Over the past number of years God has given me a lot of new experiences of prayer and through those new experiences of prayer, experiences that were new to me, he sort of showed me a lot about who he is and who I am and what it looks like to be in communication with him Uh, But these are like my experiences because it's sort of my my story. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you what I learned through my experiences, but it's not like an exhaustive list of what prayer is. Um, And I look forward to hearing some of your own experiences Mm -hmm. as you share when we discuss because we are fellow saints in the land. Many of us, Guy
2: Young, come in, Min Su, yes,
3: come in,
4: <laughs> lots of room. There's a
3: spot here and a spot there and a spot over there. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just going to start at the beginning. Um, Probably about, uh, well, so uh, my husband David and I, he's sitting right over there. Uh, We are pastors. We co-pastor at a church in town called Victoria Christian Reformed Church. And we've been pastoring here for about 10 years. And I would say about a year after we started that, a year after we moved here, a year into pastoring, I began to have a desire to have a more significant experience of God and to pastor people out of a more significant experience of God. And believe it or not, reading Edith Schaefer's book, Labrie, was part of this because David and I had just met Clark and Julia. So Labrie kind of came on my radar screen again. I read the book. And, um, you know, Labrie as an organization was born out of some deep convictions about God's real presence and introducing to introducing other people to the God who, as Edith Schaefer says again and again, is really there. And, um, I felt like the Schaefer's story in this book, it was just like they were very real people being led by God. They were bringing people into a relationship with the living God. And I really felt like, and like I said, this was only a year in, but my experience of myself and what I was doing as a pastor was that I was teaching people about God, like kind of pointing to God over there but not really introducing people to him. Um, Anyway, so this desire was building and some questions were building in me. And then one day, and this is very out of my normal experience, this is not really, This has never happened to me before, but I was reading a novel. I had some free time. I picked up the novel. I was reading Gone with the Wind, and and I picked it up to spend my free time reading this novel, and I felt like I was going to throw up. I just, this, you know, wave of nausea came over me, and it wasn't because Gone with the Wind was a problem to be reading, I didn't think, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a very distinctive, like, physical sensation and um i immediately thought i think god might be telling me something there i mean mm-hmm. this was this was my thought and um the next so i just i didn't i didn't read it the next day same thing like just sort of blew it off like shook it off but the next day like i i kind of sat down i think like my baby was sleeping I went to go grab the novel and I just felt nauseous and I was like what is this what is going on and I talked about this with Dave that night and um, like he just sort of right away said like I was like, "I think God might be trying to tell me something like, this is so strange. Like God has never tried to get my attention in this way before, but I think God is trying to tell me something." And, and he right away said, like, "Well, is there something you're avoiding doing? You know, Like, is there something He wants to draw your attention to?" And I knew right away that it was this desire, like the beginning of that desire that had been growing. That I actually needed to attend to it and not just sort of casually acknowledge it, but really take the time to tend to this desire to have a more significant experience of God. And um, so that kind of began a fast where I just committed to like not reading and not watching TV with any of my free time. And I just basically sat in silence. And this went on for a couple of months. I mean, I went about my daily activities But whenever I would feel like the impulse, like, Oh, I have a free moment. I'm just going to sit and like, read like that was time to sit in silence with God and to sort of look at this desire that was growing in me. Um, I called a mentor sometime after that, because I didn't really know what to do besides what I was doing. And, um, she was a colleague, a pastor in our region, and she right away was like, oh, I know what's going on with you. I explained to her my desire to have a deeper experience of God and what was happening, and she just said, oh, I know what's happening with you. Like You, uh, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and um, I had actually never really heard that language before. I didn't really know what she meant by that. Uh, she put me on to a couple of authors, and then she told me, oh, you know, you should really... Like there's this lovely little organization called Dunamis Fellowship Canada. And they're like you, they're like Presbyterian reformed folk who don't know much about like who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. So you should find out when they're doing their next conference, because you could learn a lot from them. Like they're probably your people. And I was like, that sounds great. And um, so I did. I went to a conference hosted by Dunamis Fellowship Canada a couple of months later. I learned a lot. It was just like four days, wonderful learning, wonderful teaching, uh, really clarifying. At the end of that there was this time where everyone gathered was supposed to pray for each other, that we would be filled with the Holy spirit to know his power to do the work that we were supposed to do. And, um, I was like, okay, like this, this is it. <laughs> I was kind of nervous. Like, I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to fill me, uh, to give me a deeper experience of him so that I can, so that I can share God more effectively with others. And um, so I got prayed for and all they prayed was simply Lord Jesus, you know, the desire of Brittany's heart. You've taught her so much. Would you please fill her now with your Holy Spirit so that she can have the power she needs to pastor people and to, parent her child etc etc and uh while I was being prayed for um I had a very distinct image come to mind and the image was of Jesus (laughs) standing right next to me and um and what he did was he threw a mantle over my shoulders you know so like a a heavy-ish, you know, scarf. I don't exactly know what a mantle is even. I didn't even really know then. Um, But I just had this image of Jesus right there. Um, Not really, like, over me or away from me, but sort of like he felt like my brother. And he just sort of, like, draped this mantle over me. And... um, And, you know, the the mantle in scripture is a symbol for being anointed with God's power and for having authority. And um, it was a, a wonderful image. It was a wonderful time of prayer. And, you know, simple enough, just a time of being prayed for. And, you know, followed by some great teaching on who God is and what it means to walk with him but that moment absolutely was a turning point in my life. It absolutely was. I, um, I was launched during that time of prayer into a season where prayer became more meaningful, more effective, and way more joyful than it had ever been before. So what I thought I would do for tonight's talk is basically use this opportunity to reflect on what actually changed, like what was missing before, and what, what did I gain after that that made my prayer life become so much more meaningful. And I've kind of narrowed it down to four things. And um, the, the four biggies. And I've come to see these four things, things that I did not have before, that I had after that time as just foundational to a healthy and thriving prayer life in general. So I think they can be more broadly applied. But like I said, I don't mean this to be an exhaustive list, just a list of some things that were really significant for me in terms of the change that happened for me. So um, foundation number one, being on board with God's mission. Critical to a thriving prayer life is being on board with God's mission. So God, according to the Bible, is a real doer. He is a real doer. He is an infinite, eternal, all-powerful, perfectly holy, completely loving spiritual being who works, who acts, who does things, who is on a specific mission. God's first great work was creation. Right, God created the world out of the joy and love and life shared in the Holy Trinity. God's second great work was redemption. Unwilling to let sin and death mar his beloved creation, God rolled up his sleeves and got to work to bring about restoration. God's redemptive work can be traced throughout the Bible, but it's seen most clearly in the person of Jesus, who, or well, through whom God entered in, walked alongside, taught, touched, healed, forgave, died, rose, formed a new community of believers, God is a doer. He is on mission. Now, God made humans to be doers, just like him. This is what it means to bear the image of God, which is just one of the beautiful truths from way back in Genesis. After creating Adam and Eve, God commissioned them immediately to get to work. Fill the earth, subdue it, tend to this garden, cultivate it. And then after the death and resurrection of Jesus... God recommissioned them to work alongside of him, participating in his redemptive mission. Go and make disciples, right? Extend God's kingdom, build God's kingdom, and do it like Jesus did it. Enter in, walk alongside, uh, teach, touch, heal, forgive. Humans are doers. Our work, our purpose is to join with our worker God In his work. So, foundational, I think, to any meaningful practice of Christian prayer is believing that God is at work doing something here and now, and that you have a role to play. You have a role to play. In a lecture called Living Prayer, Dallas Willard defines prayer this way, and it's just perfect. I love it. I always go back to this. He says, prayer is talking with God about what we're doing together. That's great. (coughs) Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. If God is not really present and at work, why bother? Mm -hmm.
1: Likewise, if you have no
3: role to play in that work, what on earth would you have to say to each other? That's another thought from Dallas Willard, by the way. He talked about, um, or he was reflecting on people who consulted him about having a prayer life that felt kind of stale or, or dead to them. And he would often challenge people with the comment saying, well, maybe you don't have anything to say to each other. Maybe you're not on board with what God is up to maybe God is not on board with what you are up to, right? So this is kind of where I'm getting that that foundation of like being on board with God's mission. Like, are you on board with each other? Are you in sync with the work that is supposed to be done here and now? I lived a large chunk of my life treating prayer like I was um, logging messages on a divine voicemail. I very much believed God. And honestly, I believed the right things about God. Like, I was raised in a wonderful tradition. Um, and I was discipled from the very beginning by parents who honored God, God's word and wanted to follow Jesus. But my image of God was that he was doing all that he did out there somewhere. So God was good and he was powerful and he was saving and he was redeeming like he was up to good work but he was sort of doing it up there out there somewhere and my image of myself was that I was supposed to trust Jesus to save me which he does and which you're supposed to do and then I was supposed to live my life according to his instructions crossing my fingers that he would bless my attempts at doing some good things There was a real disconnect between what God did and what I did. There was a gap between God's working life and my working life. I did not see us as co-workers. I did not. Rather than being on board with God's mission, like on his team, I just really hoped that my mission, which lined up with his values, would be blessed by him. Right? Like that was just kind of how... Kind of how I lived. But then God opened my eyes at this conference I went to, right? Like, what a different image. Brother Jesus in the room next to me, giving me his power and authority, right? Um, He was not just out there somewhere doing all that he does. He was right here. And I wasn't just meant to go and do my own thing, living my life for him in sort of like the best ways I could think up. Like, what were my good ideas for my life? I was meant to do his work with him. Consequently, prayer went from being relatively, like, meaningless, boring, and duty-driven to being absolutely essential. Jesus, what are you and I to do together today? Like, this has become the main prayer. What are you and I to do together today? What are you up to today? Where do you need me to be? H- how are we going to do that? Where, where are you going to put me? Like, like where-, where are you going? Okay, do you need me to follow you there? Like, what what are we to do together today? Prayer is talking with God about what we're doing together. That's the first foundation. That's a big piece of what changed. Foundation number two recognizing God's voice. Shortly after this experience in prayer at this conference that I referred to, I was back in the context of my own congregation leading the congregational prayer during Sunday morning worship, like this was, I think, the next week. And um, the practice in our worshiping community is that three out of four weeks of a month, um, just one person who's pre-assigned, gets up and leads the whole congregation in um, a congregational prayer. Roughly once a month, either Dave and I would kind of just take requests and comments from people. So we would walk around with the microphone. And so it was one of those months. So I was walking around with a microphone and um, taking prayer requests and right there, you know, praying for people. And uh, we get to this couple, and the husband had raised his hand, and he said, "I'd like us to pray for my wife, who, you know, has all sorts of health complications. Uh, but the the thing that's really bothering her right now is her uh, like this nerve pain she had been dealing with." And so I'm like, "Okay, thanks, thanks. Yes, we'll pray." So I put my hand on her, and we pray for her. Now I said "Amen," and when I said "Amen," I had a feeling in my gut that she needed to be prayed for more. Um, It was a prompting, just a gut level prompting, a nudge, a sense. And so very fresh from my conference and knowing that the Holy Spirit had filled me to do his work, I thought I better follow through on this to see what this means. And uh, I called her, I called her that afternoon. Hey, I would like to pray for you more. How do you feel about that? Does that seem fitting to you? I'd love that. I'd love that. Okay, so I, I grabbed a couple of elders and we went over there, I think the next week. We had a, like, you know, husband and wife sitting on the couch, hearing their story, hearing more about the pain. Um, and then we prayed. We laid hands on her and we prayed for her healing of this nerve pain and I left and I thought okay like after after the prayer I was like how do you feel (laughs) and she was like I feel really loved like thanks for taking this time to do that I'm like okay okay you know I left like okay and uh three or four days later it was Sunday we were back at church and she scooted up to me like she before the service started and she's like i don't know if you heard that she had no more pain i was like excuse me like maybe some of you have experiences like this in your this is just like not part of how i was discipled okay this is not part of my formation i was like you did not just get healed like literally it was just like she's like no I have no pain I was like okay okay whoa so it turns out that that gut feeling I had right wasn't just my own idea it was God's idea God spoke to me I heard him foundational to a thriving prayer life is believing that God speaks directly to people. It's not only believing that, but then it's being willing to recognize God's voice when he speaks to you, and then being willing to obey what he says. Um, back to Edith Schaeffer and her book, "Le She says it so matter-of-factly, because I, I take it she was sort of a matter-of-fact kind of person. But she just says this, she says, God is all-powerful in every realm. He can do things in a variety of ways, but one way in which he works is to move in the realm of men's minds. God can place an idea in a person's mind. He can cause someone to feel a strong urge or conviction to do something. I just, like, I honestly did not know that before. Um, like, the process of Labrie was really born out of their deep conviction of this. Like their conviction that God would give them his ideas for what he wanted done. Like God would put in their minds God's idea, God's vision for what Libri should look like in Switzerland. And they prayed that God would put ideas into people's minds to compel them to send money to get so-and-so project done. Like this is just sort of how they operated, believing with their whole heart, that God absolutely spoke to people directly. Absolutely, like his own voice. Now, to be fair, like I just said, I did not really know that before. I did not really believe that God worked or moved or spoke to people in that way. That said, I did have experiences, and maybe you can relate to these, growing up where God would sort of impress things upon me. That was the experience, like during a sermon, or the reading of a scripture passage or a song or something, you know, I kind of had that sense, like God really highlighting something to me or really sinking a truth kind of deep. So on the one hand, if pushed to make sense of that, I would have admitted, yeah, I guess God does sort of interact with individuals on that like spiritual plane, like in our inner world. But I would have been very quick to say, that, that probably happened quite rarely. And when it did happen, you should be very suspicious of that. Very suspicious of that, right? God speaks through the Bible. Like, this is what I was taught, and that is true. That is true. But it is also an incomplete picture. Um, I was just reading not long ago, and it kills me every time, um, children's Bibles, like they're so great. And they can be so frustrating, right? Because there's someone else's version of what these stories mean, uh, written in their words. And so we have this uh, series of Bible stories for preschoolers, like two and three year olds. And it wasn't long ago that we were reading the beautiful story of Samuel, right? God is calling Samuel in the night. And Samuel does not recognize the voice of God until Eli encourages him to like, Oh, that's the voice of God. Like just next time, just say, God speak. I am listening. You know, I'm I'm hearing you and I'm willing to obey you like whatever you say. And so, um, you know, we read this story and then at the end there's like the moral of the story Mm -hmm. and the moral of the story in this particular children's Bible is, um, God speaks through his word, the Bible. Do you like it when he speaks through his word, the Bible? <laughs> and I'm always like, what? Like, here is this really special interaction between an individual and God himself, right? Like, it's just really special. And it, it can do wonders for our imagination, like in a helpful way. And uh, it kind of gets like reduced to like, But that actually maybe doesn't happen anymore or like that's a confusing thing. We don't really know what that is. But isn't it great that God speaks to you through the Bible now? Um, And so I always change it a little bit when I'm I'm teaching that story to my kids. Um, So, of course, God speaks through the Bible, but it is incomplete. And this sort of closed view of God's voice cracked open for me when I first received that image of Jesus and the mantle he was putting over me, I knew that that image was given and that it was not something that I had put there. So I went from this and then, you know, followed up the next week with this sort of like gut nudge, um, followed through with fruit born. I I really feel like it was God just like, like right away, just like solidifying this lesson so that I wouldn't let it go, but I would run with it. Um, So I went from this default of extreme caution to, oh, you know, uh, that might be from God. So I better discern that rather than there's no way that's from God. You know, you better say it like a million more times before I actually believe you um, to like, that could be from God. So I better discern it with some other people. Um, I just want to give an example of recognizing God's voice. Um, So at our church, one of my main things that I do as a pastor is I run a very small prayer team. And um, we pray with people who need prayer, especially for matters of inner healing, but sometimes physical healing. So we have a real commitment to this idea that you know, Jesus can speak through the Holy Spirit, like he can point to what needs to be done and we can trust him, a God who is really here uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to do what he wants to do as we wait on him tonight. So. Uh, we welcomed a young man in, um, I'll call him Nathan. He came to us because he was having a a relationship struggle that was quite burdensome to him. He didn't know what to do about it. And um, so he came and, um, you know, we, we sat with him. And, um, you know, after a few introductory things, it was like, okay, let's just like, You know, ask the Lord to speak, to see, to see what he says about this and to see what he thinks might need to be done. And um, so we, we put that question to God in prayer and we waited. And I said to him, you know, do you have any like sense, like maybe a word or a picture or an image or like a sense, like a gut feeling about,
5: is anything coming
3: up for you in this time of silence? Nope, no, nothing. I was like, okay, let's not rush. Let's just sit for more silence. We sat in silence for longer. And then he said, you know, it's nothing, it's nothing, but I've just got this picture of my dad in my head. I can't get it out of my head. And I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. The Lord does this sometimes, right? It's like we have sort of an issue in our life, but actually there's like a deeper issue that needs to be addressed, like a more foundational thing that has to be dislodged. And what was so amazing was that another member of our prayer team was kind of like, you know, I didn't want to say anything, but when we sat there in silence, this picture of your dad had come to my mind and he was holding closed this door that you were trying to get through. And you know that it the so the man who had come for prayer has this picture of his dad just come up and this was sort of complemented by a member of the prayer group and we thought okay okay like I think we have something we need to pray about here. And uh we did. This man confessed um his own part in this relationship that was so fraught with struggle. But then we really recognize what we think God was showing us was that like this man's part in his relationship struggle was actually inherited. There was like a generational sin problem here that his dad also had in some of his dad's relationships and stretching back. And so not only could this man be, um, could put before God his struggles, but we could kind of pray through the general, the generational aspect there. And um We sort of didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we had a sense, like God speaks and he's really here and we're going to just, like, go here. And the next morning, this man emailed me and he said, I don't really know. I've never prayed like that before. He said, but you would not believe the freedom I feel this morning. Um... And we'll see what the Lord continues to do with that healing that began there all because that man was sort of willing to like recognize God's voice, right? You can dismiss these things as that's just me. That's just in my head. Or you can say, you know what? That could be God like because God does that. God absolutely does that. And moving to a place of, I think, Recognizing God's voice requires that we get comfortable with our intuition and with our imagination. And that is probably a whole other awesome Libri talk on what has happened in our day and age with intuition and imagination. Like these are important God-given ways of perceiving and of knowing. And unless we get in touch with those things again and allow God to heal those things, strengthen those things, empower those things, we will really miss out on the opportunity to hear God's voice and then join him in what he's up to. So that's the second foundation for me, recognizing God's voice as it comes. Mm -hmm. Foundation number three, uh, knowing that prayer actually accomplishes something The more I prayed, the more I started seeing that my prayers mattered. Uh, would this woman in my congregation have been healed from her nerve pain if I had not prayed for her? Would this man who had come in uh, for prayer more of a, a heal, an inner healing concern, would he have experienced freedom if my prayer team had not Prayed for him. This is is an age-old debate, actually, between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Is our role really needed? Won't God just do it anyway? Earlier in my life, I would have said, of course that woman and of course that man would have been healed anyway. And don't you dare doubt it that's what god wanted to do and he could be trusted to get it done prayer just honors god right that's what prayer this is what i sort of how i used to see it prayer is important because it honors god and prayer is important because it's good for you to do it it's a good practice for you to do but you don't do it because it actually accomplishes anything That impulse there, I think, is actually a good one. I love the conviction to trust God. But it's not a complete picture of what the Bible teaches. It's just not. There is this beautiful, mysterious dynamic between God's spirit and the spoken word that can be seen throughout the Bible. At creation, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters of chaos, ready and poised to get to work and it was when god spoke that creation happened and that pattern just continues i love the stories in the old testament of the prophet elijah and um i love all the stories but i really love the story where he's having this showdown it's between him and the prophets of baal and um The prophets of Baal are like trying to get Baal to send fire to show that Baal has power and they're just not listening to the prophet's prayers. And then it's Elijah's turn and he tells the prophets of Baal, okay, soak my altar. You know, he just has such confidence in what the Holy spirit there hovering, waiting, wanting to show, wanting to do for the people of Israel. Like he's just so confident. Like he knows what, what work God is trying to accomplish here. Soak the altar. They soak it. And uh, he just prays simply, you know, something like, Lord God in heaven above, like you are over all things. Just show your people now that you are their God and that, you know, I should, I should read it from the Bible for you now. I won't. I'm, you know, I'm really ad-libbing. Uh, and what does God do? He sends the fire. Right. Now, like, would God have sent the fire if Elijah had not shown up and asked for God to send the fire? I mean, we can, you know, maybe, maybe not. You can't project. We can't know. Um, But there is this beautiful, mysterious dynamic happening where the Holy Spirit is getting ready to do something. And God commissions a human being to obediently speak the word the word of prayer to, uh, to invite God to work. And that's what happens there. And I think too of the story in the New Testament, Jesus shows us this all the time. Think about that amazing miracle where Lazarus is raised from the dead, right? Jesus comes, he cries, actually he waits. He waits for like a couple of days. So Lazarus is really dead, but it's like the time is right. Okay, this is the time. It's like, here's the Holy Spirit hovering, like hovering over that grave. Like God wants to do a demonstration of his kingdom right then and there, right? So Jesus goes there. What does he do? You know, it's like, he knows what's happening. He prays, he prays. And then what does he do? He speaks the word, Lazarus, come out. So there it is again, it's like, God's spirit, and then God commissioning his co-worker, a human co-worker, to lend their voice to make happen what God wants to have happen. So this is what we see. The fact that they showed up and prayed mattered. We are real participants. This is what I've been learning. The more I've prayed, the more I've seen it. We are real participants. We are real co-laborers. We have a real role to play. It's not just pretend. It's not sort of a title that God gives humanity. Like, it is real. Like, your showing up matters. Your obedience matters. Our prayers matter. So, would, would this woman have been healed of her nerve pain? Had the elders and I not gone? Would this man have been set free if we had not followed through there? I think the answer is no. I do. I think also that the fact that our prayers matter is very sobering, and it's very exciting. Now what I don't mean to say here is that God isn't actually sovereign. I don't mean that at all, at all, because he absolutely is. And I'm, I'm here to speak the truth as best I can. God is absolutely sovereign. And I think that God's sovereignty is meant to undergird all that we do, that we act as responsible agents with a deep and profound humility But I think this idea of God being sovereign and doing what he wants anyway, even without our obedience, without our work alongside him, it's not meant to undercut all we do. It's meant to sort of undergird all we do. Um, But I had been letting it undercut all that I did. I really had. And I just think we need to increase our capacity to manage that tension, to not sort of God's sovereign, sovereign you know, so then prayer doesn't matter. Our role doesn't matter. And it's not like our role matters. Forget God's sovereignty. No, we just have to be better at holding both um, and clinging to both as best we can. So foundation number one, being on board with God's mission, that sense of teamwork between us and the God who is really there. Foundation number two, recognizing God's voice, that waking up of our intuition and our imagination to be used by him. Foundation number three, knowing that our prayers actually matter and God actually intends that he would accomplish something through the prayers that we pray. And finally, foundation number four for a thriving prayer life is receiving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because I believe that a thriving prayer life is connected with participating as a co-worker with God in God's mission, I believe that it is absolutely critical, foundational, essential to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to pray rightly, to pray effectively. Jesus commissioned his disciples right there at the very end of his earthly ministry. And then before ascending to heaven, he tells them, okay, before you get to work, like doing what I've commissioned you to do, you need to go to Jerusalem and you, you need to wait for the gift that you've been promised, which is the Holy Spirit. So don't get to work yet. You need to wait for something. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses, like I have asked you to, like I have told you to, like I have called you to. The Bible shows us that the Holy Spirit does all sorts of wonderful things for God's people. These are the four biggies. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about new life in us. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us and makes us look more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who builds unity and love within the community of God. And the Holy Spirit gives the power of ministry. So the Holy Spirit works within people and among God's people. And the Holy Spirit also comes upon God's people. Now, this is the concept that my dear friend and mentor introduced me to when I sought her advice on that call years and years ago when I was, like, feeling this longing. Like, there's got to be something more here. (laughs) Like, it's not just teaching and pointing over there, is it? Like, there's got to be something more. And uh, I felt so strange having this desire for a deeper experience of God and being led by God and God's power, because I knew that the Holy Spirit was in me. And I was thankful for that. It almost felt a little bit like dishonoring. It's like, why do I want more of God? I know, I know you're with me, God. I know you're in me, God. I know you've done so much for me through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Um, I just didn't know that the Holy Spirit wants to do a lot of different things for God's people. And it's totally appropriate and actually important to ask for his anointing upon his empowerment for the work he is calling us to. God means for us to do his work with his power. Our capacities are totally limited, his are not. Our efforts totally fail, his do not. Our strength fades, his does not. This is why he said, before you get to work, you wait till I fill you with my power. Because if this is gonna get done, And it's a big long worldwide project you do it with my power you do it with my spirit and this is not different when it comes to prayer prayer is the what of god's mission it is in prayer that we perceive god and we get from god what he's up to and prayer is often the how of the work we are called to it is often through prayer and the words of prayer, and through communing with God in prayer, that he does what he wants to do, administer his healing, administer his truth, getting rid of some lies, um, applying his forgiveness, whatever it might be. And so if we are to do that well, we need to ask God to send his Holy Spirit upon us so that we can do it. And... Um, I think I'm just going to end it there. I just, I needed to end with that fourth comment about receiving the Holy Spirit's power because it felt like that was actually the thing that changed the most in me. I went from sort of my own strength to being much more dependent on asking for his power for everything that I did. Um, So that's my testimony, and that's what I've been learning over the years, and and I'm interested and eager to hear what resonated with you, or what questions you have, or what you yourself have been learning.
0: Well, thanks, Brittany. I, I'm going to start it because sometimes people need a little bit of time to think sure. about how they're going to articulate.
3: Yeah, of course. Uh,
0: but I want to bring out something that you had implied sure. that you didn't say explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in part of my question about how do you differentiate or how do you discern that when, when it's an image that is from God and when it's an image from the vain imagination. Yeah. You know, um, you see a banner, you know, and you see the banner over you and you say, oh, surely I'm going to get married now. Like, and it doesn't happen. So, and people come here and say, well, God lied to me. You know, he, I had this distinct image. Uh, and so one of my questions is how do you discern it? And this is where you implied, uh, but you didn't make explicit, that the need for other advisors. Yes. The ones to go alongside you. And what I see in the early church, I mean, mean, we see an example of images coming to people's minds. Uh, Paul sees a man from Macedonia calling him. And maybe that's Luke, maybe it's someone else. But in the story of Acts, Paul redirects his journey by an image he has of a man calling out to him. Mm -hmm. And and he runs into Lydia and Mm -hmm. into this slave girl and this jailer and... And it becomes really this mission to Europe. That's that's when the doors open to Europe, the gospel open to Europe, and not Mm -hmm. just the Middle East. And so it's just a tremendous moment through an image. Uh, What's what's implied there is that he wasn't praying by himself. He was praying in the midst of a community. Uh, Even the disciples, when they're waiting to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus told them to wait. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: And, And they waited corporately by praying corporately Mm -hmm. so so you said you know if you have this image discern it with other people Mm -hmm. and you also had elders praying for this woman after you had this nudging Mm -hmm. Uh, so so it seems like one practical is like seek the wisdom of others but exactly what kind of wisdom are we seeking to know that this is the voice of god um Is it that we just talk to our friends and say, is this from God or is it? Can you explain a little bit more of that process and how you see it working out?
3: Yes. Discernment is a very big deal. And um, I didn't talk about it much because for me in my own experience, like the fear of (laughs) mishearing God just made me like shut the door completely, you know, like our intuitions, our imaginations, our minds, our hearts are totally broken by the fall. Right. So we are broken people. And not only that, like, um, there are other voices that want to wield some influence over us. Right. I mean, we've got ourselves, we've got, um, the world we've got the devil like there's a lot of things at play when it comes to like um, sensing that God is speaking to us um, so when we open the door to okay God can speak to me he actually does speak to me oh this might actually be a really important part of my prayer life um, like immediately there has to be this like, okay, God's God speaks to me. But the only way I'm going to hear him properly is if I am actively engaged in discernment. And um, so this means, I mean, I have some sort of strong opinions about this. I think different Christian communities would feel differently about this. Um, I would say that like, almost never would I personally, like, receive an image and sort of say, absolutely, that was God's voice. Um, I would always submit the voice that I was hearing and what I heard to a group of um, Christians who are actively following Jesus, um, actively Putting off their sin, actively submitted to God. Um, So that means probably like two or three people. And um, together, I think like we could just ask God, like, together, Lord, like, was that, was there something there that Brittany, like, was that you speaking to Brittany? Right? So there's just like this group, like, we are quite vulnerable when we're alone, I, I believe. And I think. God knows that too, which is why in scripture, like, we don't see Lone Rangers. We see the church being a community. Um, But in addition to that, like, I don't think it's just like talking to a good friend. Like, I think we also have to be, I think it's important to be rooted in a worshiping Christian community that itself is rooted in the historical Orthodox tradition of Christianity. I think there is sort of protection and strength and clarity and truth when we are part of a community that is deeply rooted and deeply committed over the long term. So um, that's what I think discernment needs to look like. And um, I would insist, actually, like I feel that strongly about it, that I would insist.
2: yeah thank you I really appreciated that you should be sharing um, yeah I've been walking trying to walk this out for a while hearing God's voice and um, for me I think depending on what it is you hear should kind of uh, um, guide you in how much you seek other people
4: mm-hmm.
2: because um, like it's really comes down to a day by day moment by moment Lord what are we doing today where are we going mm-hmm. and it can be such simple things mm-hmm. that I wouldn't first stop and say check with people right on everything right if it's like oh you're to go and sell your house and move to China whatever <laughs> I saw a picture yeah you
4: yes that you need
2: to get right yes outside counsel yes but um you know my sheep know my voice so how do we get to know his voice is that we spend time with him getting to know him and um i journal a lot and, and like you you said i say lord is this you I put it out there and i don't act right away i don't run Mm-hmm. Right away, but it's like, is this you? And I look for confirmation, I look for and he will speak again. But mm-hmm. when I'm not looking, I don't get that as much. So it's yeah. like we need to be asking, asking, mm-hmm. Lord, we will, will you speak to me, will you lead me, will you guide me? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and that kind of thing? Um yeah, I think there's lots of, lots of examples in the Bible where they don't ask for other people, like Peter up on the rooftop, getting that big, huge vision. And then he goes and does something crazy. He actually goes to the Gentiles' place. Mm. Oh, yeah, he goes with them. So, mm. like, I know we have to be really careful, but like you said, it's easier to shut it down. Mm-hmm. It's easier to shut it down. This is just me, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna go, you know, whatever the prophets did in the old testament, they were crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? They were crazy. And so, you know, we can we can step out and kind of miss it sometimes.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Or we can stay safe and miss it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Is one better than the other? Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Yeah, I hear you there. And I appreciate that. Because I think there are different levels of like, when discernment is actually required. And I think there is something at stake too about that willingness to obey. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think you can sort of numb yourself to God's prompting yeah. If you continually refuse right. to, um, you know, recognize
2: God's nudge. I would just say discernment's always necessary. Yes. It's not that it's, but, but it's to submit it to two or three others, respected mm-hmm. people. If, if, if I'm driving by and there's a flower stand and I'm like, oh, I should buy that for, and someone comes to mind, if I'm mm-hmm. if this is not God, it's still a good thing, <laughs> right? Yes. But it's like wow, I hadn't thought of her for a long time, and then a, a lady just told me about this, and then she stopped, she got them, and she keeps driving. And the lady was right on the road. Mm-hmm. So I mean, mm-hmm. that's what this is about. It's the everyday minute by minute walking by mm-hmm. the Spirit, mm-hmm. and it's also in the big things mm-hmm. like praying for healing, mm-hmm. praying. So
4: yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
2: Yeah, Nina, I have
6: several questions on my sheet. Um, do you think about the anointing? There's the power. Like I'm just thinking, how do you know that you have the anointing? Oh. And can it be lost? Mm. Like I'm thinking back to when I was in university. I remember asking for people to pray for like kind of a Holy Spirit to come, and it was kind of confusing because I thought. Well, I'm a believer, and I ask for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Did I have the power then? And then I was—I asked for prayer, and I've had lots of like highs and lows in terms of feeling really close to God and talking to God, mm-hmm. and like being obedient, and other times where I've kind of like shut it down knowingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think of having kids and teaching them about the Holy Spirit about the power coming in is simply believing in Jesus and having him in your heart mm-hmm. those kind of terms
2: mm-hmm.
6: Is there more to that like, you know there's like how do you delve into that children mm-hmm. um, and do you think also is there a, I mean I think there is is there a big lack of anointing in the church mm-hmm. where there isn't that power we are just kind of going through the ocean. so it's just a pleasure mm-hmm. of thoughts but or if you're kind of going through
3: like a really long season, you're
6: like, do you ask for like a refilling
3: again, like, damn, yeah, like, Okay. Um, <laughs> um, can you lose the anointing of God's spirit? Um, okay, let me, let me start with your second question or maybe
7: third question. What oh, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Oh, okay. oh it's a it's a cute bird too. I'm sorry.
3: It was so helpful for me and Nina when it came to understanding the Holy Spirit and uh, who who he was, what he wanted to do in me, um, to understand that he does different things. And the image that I use, which is very helpful, is like a a compass. So we've got a north, a south, an east and a west. So when we're talking about Jesus coming into our heart, we're talking about the Holy Spirit birthing us into the kingdom of God. That is sort of that, the new life. That's like the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to see Jesus, to see the kingdom of God, to give us a desire to follow Jesus. Okay, so that's one thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, you know, S, the South, he sanctifies us. That's the, like, showing us our sin, convicting us of things that we should not be doing or attitudes that we have or whatever it might be, and then giving us uh, what we need to take on righteousness and to take on, like, like, being like Jesus. So those are, like, distinctive things that the Holy Spirit does. The E for East is empowerment. So the Holy Spirit also comes upon God's people to give them his supernatural strength to accomplish his work. So that would be things like um, proclaiming a sermon or whatever, like different ministry things that require like the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then West, um, I would just say like we, like we, it's sort of koinonia. It's the work that the Holy Spirit does in building up, christ's body keeping it together and um just using christ's body to love and to serve the world so i I think it's actually really helpful to just keep those roles of the holy spirit quite distinct because if you all of a sudden sort of talk about like well am i losing the power that can be very confusing like are you afraid of like losing your faith and you're like part in the kingdom of god like you should that's not something that we lose right um like there's but empowerment like the empowerment of the holy spirit is something that we can continually ask for because it's a little bit more like episodic and it comes in the form of spiritual gifts right like the spiritual gift of intercession or the spiritual gift of mercy so there are times when there is a work before you like a work like i am going to give a talk at library tonight and try to speak truthfully about god Um, so what do I do on the way here? I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and for whatever spiritual gifts God thinks I'm going to need to do the work of speaking truthfully about God. Um, let's say I have to whatever, like do a work, like participate in God's mission, pray for someone's healing. Lord, could you give me the spiritual gift of healing, please? So that when I pray for someone's healing, you might through your power, uh, heal um, I had this funny experience where I was going to this visit, this pastoral visit, and I didn't really want to go. I was so nervous. It was a a very old uh, woman who didn't even speak English. She spoke Dutch only, and I had to go, but she had kind of made this, like, um, off-color comment about me being a woman as a pastor. So I was like, not only do we have this, like, language barrier, but I feel a little bit, like, resentful about this like not so welcoming comment you gave me and yada 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 i'm just like lord like please like this is the time give me the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues like i really want to connect with this woman can you please like anoint me like i'm riding my bike to her house from the church anoint me with that gift right so i'm not talking about lord give me faith i'm not talking about lord sanctifying me i'm not talking about you know i'm talking very specifically about that role of the Holy Spirit, give me your power now, so that I can speak with this woman. Anyway, God did not give me the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, but He gave me. Like I think He did something actually with the Quainini a bit, because the two of us, it's like I opened the door, and she started giggling. Like she's like 98. I don't know, do 98 year olds giggle a lot? I don't know. I started giggling. The love of God filled that room in a palpable way. We giggled together about nothing for like an hour. And then we hugged and cried and I left. And I thought,
4: mm-hmm.
3: like that was some, something, there was a power. Joy. Something happened. It wasn't what I actually asked for. I thought, give me tongues. I need to speak Dutch. <laughs> uh, but God anointed me with a different kind of power, like, and her. We were like bubbling over with love for each other. Um, so, can you lose that anointing? Yes. By that, I mean, I didn't go around the whole day giggling, spewing love. Um, like, it was meant for that work of connecting with that woman. And so whenever God puts a work before us, like whenever He says, you know, Anina, Brittany, Shannon, Brett, it's time, you know, we're co-workers, we're gonna get to this thing, you know, that's when we say, God, give me your power because you've invited me to do this thing with you. And if we're gonna get it done, it's gotta be your supernatural power. So and I think that's also true for prayer. So it's totally appropriate to like ask for it, and we don't have to be afraid of losing it, because The Bible teaches that this is not something we have to conjure up. This is something that God's children, like God promises that he will give his children the Holy Spirit when they ask. Like we really just have to ask in faith. Like it's not like a, how do I like, you know, brush myself up to be like a better, more like worthy Christian, you know, that I can like ask that the Holy Spirit would give me a spiritual gift to like do this thing you know, like, the, it's, it's not that at all. Like, we just ask, and then we have to receive it in faith, and then obediently do the thing that God has called us to do. So would
6: you say, like, a Pentecost moment the Holy Spirit comes yes. to the disciples?
3: Yes. It isn't just one moment for No. us. Mm-hmm. No, and it wasn't like, one moment for them. Pentecost and it wasn't one moment for them either. There's actually, like, I think Acts 4, they actually do a similar thing. Where they're gathered together in prayer and they ask, for like the, like they ask for God's help. That God would be there in a unique way because all of a sudden they start getting persecuted. And they don't know what to do. And what does God do? You should read it. It's like Pentecost over again. The place shakes and they are filled with courage and start proclaiming the gospel yeah. after they pray. So it is episodic, this anointing. Spiritual gifts come and go because they're meant for a very specific purpose at a specific time. Like there might be a spiritual gift that you like have a leaning toward. Maybe you're involved in a specific ministry over a long period of time, but like, this is God doing his work with, with us. So
2: I think of Ephesians five eighteen that says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word filled is actually in the continuous sense. Mm. Keep on being filled. Because yeah. I think there's
6: a sense, too, that I got where it's like, well, these gifts are for these people. Right? These, gifts for these, these gifts are for these people. Or if I don't have a sense for a certain gift, it's like, well, it's just not going to be like, my role is this.
4: Mm. You know, kind of
6: like putting yourself in a box. right?
4: Mm-hmm. And then if you don't
6: feel it, right in that realm you're like
4: oh and that's the thing
6: it's
3: never about feeling it that's the thing too it's never about feeling it it's about obedience right like if you ask you trust the promise that god gives it Mm -hmm. you know like i i'm i mean i'm sharing these these moments you know they're kind of highlights maybe some of these stories they feel really significant but like it's not like something you always feel. And if you're always like reaching for, like, let's say I'm like entering an evening where I'm interceding for someone who's asked me to pray for them. And I say, yes, like, you know, there are times when it's just like, you know, you can be kind of wrapped up with like thoughts and you're drawn to passages and you're really praying for someone. Um, But there are other times when like, you just sit there and it's all you can do to like write out some bullet points. And, but I don't think that just because you're like having a a physical and emotional experience in one instance, that it's any more powerful and we should not be reaching for that at all. We just trust the promise that the father will give his Holy Spirit. And then we receive it in faith, regardless of how we feel. And then we walk forward in obedience um, to do the work that we're called to do um because the feelings can be very misleading and they can be you know they can kind of draw like oh that was fun how can i like pray again in like a fun way Mm -hmm. oh no it's not fun right now what does that mean
0: Mm you know
3: it doesn't mean anything
0: yeah sometimes the association (laughs) is that people come here and they think warm feelings is when god is communicating and cold feelings is when god is distant but actually god's presence can actually be a, a trembling Mm -hmm. or the dark night of the soul it's not that God is distant
4: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and so the father was with Jesus in the garden but he was crying Mm -hmm. and weeping and trembling Mm -hmm. and and sometimes you know the prophets you know Ezekiel was taught to speak and they hear his words like honey to their ears but he's preaching exile and so they're not listening to what Ezekiel Is actually telling them, but hearing what they want to hear, Mm -hmm. and so sometimes warm feelings or cold feelings can be misleading. Yes,
4: Mm -hmm. right.
5: Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. David, Um, maybe I don't know if we have this conversation too often. Maybe every so often, but I was just just the other day reading the book. that we gave to graduating seniors in our church.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, it was called "Just Do Something," yeah. a, a liberating approach to finding God's will. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, I, I read, I read through it. I'm like, I'm giving this book, I I read it, um, <laughs> and I uh, <laughs> was like, thankful it was a good one. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 one of the things I always wrestle with personally, and um, maybe other people do too is how much, uh, how much waiting, mm-hmm. how much waiting to do and how much, well, I know what the mission of God is, make disciples. I have uh, to busy myself with things that kind of go that direction <laughs> and, uh, feel like, yeah, God and I are doing something. And i I pray for like things that line up with what I like, feel like what God's desire is as well. And so sometimes, yeah, it's just like that. The argument in this book was well, get out there. Like sometimes we wait and it's actually like we're waiting for God to do something and then we'll, mm-hmm. then we'll act. But mm-hmm. he was making the argument that's actually, that sometimes it's actually, we're, we're really scared. We're, we're, yes. It's like a cowardice. Yeah. We're just waiting because we're mm-hmm. so uncertain about ourselves. And uh, yes. we want God to make it crystal clear so that we know we're on the right track. And he's like, no, just go out, like,
3: just you, do something. Just mm-hmm. do
5: something. And uh, I mean, obviously, makes the case that it's sticking with you know what God's will is is you know, the the kingdom, the gospel, the church. Like, but anyway, I just wanted to hear, I anyway, mean, some reflections on on that. I don't know, tension, maybe, or
3: I don't think it's attention. I just think it's both. I think. That this is part of the creation story. I think this is part of what it means to be an image bearer of God, like I alluded to. Like, God has given us unbelievable capacities to cultivate this world and, you know, in post Jesus, to like tend to the kingdom. And um, I was just saying at dinner that I'm reading aloud the Chronicles of Narnia books to the kids right now, which I am just loving, and something that's really stood out to me in C.S. Lewis's like, accounting of the relationship between Aslan and the kids, is that I actually feel like they are given a shocking amount of responsibility and freedom. Like, he is not hovering. He is not hovering at all. And um, like they are just, they are, they, they are living you know, they're fully living and they're living in line with like what Aslan has meant for the world. Um, but their connection to Aslan is also like very meaningful, very real. And like there are times when he gives specific direction to Lucy, it's time for you to do this. You know, Susan, right? Like there are these, so I just think it's both like, yes, We ought to just do something like we are smart, capable, wise, spirit filled people who know, like who know Jesus and like, know the contours of the kingdom and like ought to get to work. But we like must always be cultivating in prayer, uh, like an appreciation for the voice of God, a willingness to engage the voice of God through scripture, through other ways and to like not be surprised when maybe he gives a directive. That we have to like follow through. So I, I think it's both. And that's also been my experience, I think. I don't know if others have questions or anything to add to that, or if you want to add anything to that.
7: Uh, Clark, am I allowed to talk? Too late, or are you? No, just this uh, way. I want to say thank you. Uh, I have, a pro- I have a huge problem with believing. Yeah. Uh, uh, evil is uh, very present in my head since, I know. Um, sometimes I, I feel that I'm talking to God, but then it always ended up with like a kind of very mean laugh. Of, Haha, you think you're talking to God here? Mm-hmm. It's it's me, Satan. So it's something that we're struggling. So, uh, and uh, but sometimes I do believe that. Uh, I don't know. am gonna sound crazy, but uh, I do believe that uh, God is using me as a puppet for others. Sometimes, for um, let's say, uh, my friend Abigail, I, I was really upset for some stuff about her kids, and all of a sudden, I felt that thing come into my body and said, "Plan a dinner with some friend." And my my, I couldn't unlock my head from that, and I felt that he was he was using me just for satisfy our feelings and life and and I really felt that, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if it's crazy or not, but it's like I, I was lucky to that, and everything happened so naturally I called my friend that I knew that always had fun to be around. Went there, and he was, and he was awesome. And uh, and um, it's funny how it's just mingled with her kids, seeing her car and stuff like that. And it seems, anyway, it's like if I were a spirit in the. Uh, at some point we were having dinner with my friend and I was like geez it's annoying you know just for a non-believer to feel that in the air like I just you know just go because it feels great and and light but it's annoying because I don't want to believe it or something so I feel crazy
4: mm-hmm.
7: and uh, mm-hmm. you know and of course um, when you talk about the pain and you pray mm-hmm. and the pain was released Well, as a non-christian I had this experience once I was really in pain and then an hour after I took three Tylenol extra strong, I was <laughs> I was no pain, no, but I had to, just, <laughs> I had, of Good. course, it, it's my signature, I have to go around always to, uh, to deviate from my feelings, so, but uh, also I think it's fun, but, but I want to say thanks for, for the lecture and it was really sharp contrary to Clark who <laughs> 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 but I, really I did not thought. feel like that was short. But <laughs> I felt it was. I'm really glad very much. it <laughs> wasn't really. Fast. It was sharp. Thanks for your
6: thanks. Oh, I was sharp and was sharp. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thank
3: you. Feel like I've been neglecting the side of the room a little bit. Sorry, i seeing my <laughs> shoulder.
0: I do want to mm-hmm. say something while they're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I really appreciated the point that you had about that prayer is doing something and that uh, but uh, you also said that not praying is not doing something like uh, that maybe this woman would not ha- or this woman would not have been healed had I not prayed
4: mm-hmm.
0: and I was thinking that Moses interceded when God says, "I will bring my judgment on them and he interceded. And it was because of his intercession that God heard Moses. So, yeah, like you said, it's exciting yet sobering.
3: Very sobering.
0: That prayer is not something that helps us do something, but prayer is actually doing something in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And so I just appreciate you putting prayer as a responsibility rather than just an intimate personal connection with God, which is vital, which is important. -hmm. But it's also an action because God is on a mission through prayer.
4: Yes. God
3: wants to do something through your prayer.
0: Yeah. So so I think it is important that we pray for somebody, not out of sentiment, but out of reality.
4: Yes. Thanks.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see like in the church today? Um, Like, where do you see? barriers or blockages, like, I would think, you know, at least in the North American setting our culture, is so, um, like self-centered. Um, and do you feel like, like, do you feel like this is something you need to wake people up to in the church or you're trying to, uh, yeah, are there barriers that you see that not just in your church, but in general, the church?
3: Um, two things come to mind. The first thing is, and i it's hard for me to feel like I can comment on the church because I know it is so diverse and my experience is so limited. Um, I've always been part of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. Um, But I think maybe a general barrier is uh, busyness. I think that many people are far too busy to be able to spend a lot of time praying. And that's a real problem because if you're really going to intercede, it actually does take time. So you need to have time to give it. So this means like literally not doing things Mm -hmm. so that you can just pray. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I, by the way, prior to my new season of more meaningful prayer, I like never really spent time praying. I just didn't. It was because it was a chore. It was like, well, I'm supposed to pray for these few people. So like, how can I get it done as quickly as possible? Kind of like cleaning my house, right? Rather than like, oh, like this matter needs prayer, well that means this evening, this week, gets sort of that appointment, that appointment with Jesus where we are talking about that, or where I'm interceding about that, right? So it just takes time. Um, The second thing that came to mind, and I don't exactly know what to say or how to put this, but I think there's a huge need for inner healing and um, I think people need to be healed of all sorts of, all sorts of things, if they are going to more effectively pray. Um, people have um, sins that are wreaking havoc in their inner world, in terms of guilt and shame. And that is just a, that's a huge barrier. To praying in joy and freedom and effectively. It's just it's a huge barrier. Uh, people harbor things like resentment and unforgiveness. I find that these things often go unchecked, you know? Like I know people who've been Christians for their entire lives. And um, like I, I had heard someone say that, like, oh, like that person pissed me off like 30 years ago. <laughs> and um Like, I just haven't talked to them since. And I'm like, so glad that we sit on opposite sides of the sanctuary because like, I'm just still so mad. And like, I actually heard that comment and I wept for like a day because I was like, this is a huge problem. Like that, that is a barrier to being a conduit of the Lord's love and healing and power. Yep. in the church and in the world. So whether it's like sins we've committed that have kind of gone unconfessed or like things that we're harboring that are just sort of like festering or like sins committed against us that we just haven't properly like let into the light, like God's light to sort of let him heal our imaginations and our like just the well-being of our souls and our emotional lives. Like it, all of that are like, it's like a real hiccup. To just being able to sit with god and hear and then pray so mm-hmm. i i just think there's a real need for us to understand our own souls and let mm-hmm. god heal so that then we can be freed to be on mission with him um and not be like you know held up or like held back so you oh,
4: one answer.
6: second it's okay go ahead
1: the God talks about praying um, without ceasing, mm-hmm. and so on. And
4: we talked about the time that is required to receive, and so on. At what point, can we been praying for a long time, at what point do we you know we can let this go, we can rest, you know? Um, we can just rest and trust God, versus we continue to pray. From yeah, oh yeah! That, but, you know, I don't it's done in this day. Okay.
5: We can stop
4: already.
3: Right? Or we can ask. There's a big bell
5: going forward
3: tonight. do Sorry about that. I, no, no, I'm <laughs> um, I'd be really interested in other people's comments about that. I would ask the Lord. Actually, um, isn't that
4: Donna? Okay, so we're going to say, can you do that Donna? That's a really interesting um, question. And um, kind of what's been going through my head I've been listening to you is um, uh, just sort of like the revelation of what um, Adam and Eve had, what they lost, and what Jesus came to um, uh, reintroduce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what they lost in the garden wasn't a philosophy or a religion. It was the pure connection to Jesus and a pure relationship with them. And so yes, we're and that's why the veil is torn so that we have access mm-hmm. to God and to hear what kind have of a real relationship with them again. And so yes, like there's there's intercession and, and things that but we're not just trying to for about to do things for us or for other people, but there's relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And so if something is weighing heavily on your mind that for years and years and years you've been praying about it, maybe Maybe the idea of letting go is not to stop praying. Maybe the idea of letting go is to um, just continue to just develop your relationship and talking about things that worry you, things that just bug you, not for any reason, and not because you want something to happen, but just because he's your friend and he's there for you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, Stephanie. I think, um,
3: I think it's like almost a matter of discernment. Mm-hmm. Like you could call. Those people that you trust to be wise, spirit-filled discerners, and together put that question to the God who was really there. Um, and maybe the desire of your heart is to be released from praying for something, and He might like grant you that. Like I had a friend who um, was a pastor of a church, and there was some conflict, and so she had to move on from there. And like, she was just so burdened by that situation. And uh, in prayer with some friends just like this, um, they prayed that she would be fully released. And um, like she said, it felt like God granted that request. And so then, then it's in faith, her just saying, okay, on to other things. Um, but I think it's, it's a matter of discernment myself.
0: I would add to that. I would just say that I think that there are seasons when we pray more urgently and there's a time for rest. Just resting from that urgency and trusting that God hasn't forgotten our prayer yeah. or that we're less urgent, but then to pick it up when our strength regains. Yeah. You know, I mean, Elijah was praying that basically God would kill him and he <laughs> wanted to lay down, and Jesus fed him. Yeah. And the ravens fed him. Yes. And then God responded in a quiet whisper. And so I think that there are seasons when we pray urgently Mm -hmm. and then we just need to rest. Yes. Mm -hmm. Rest in him that he heard us and then pick it up again Mm -hmm. if it's a long lasting anxiety. You know, I mentioned the one about being married, you know, or having children. Mm -hmm. You know, these are prayers that people have for long seasons and it's painful. and I wouldn't want someone just to pray until they feel to give up. Right. But just to take a break, trust God, and then come back to it. Yes. Uh, so I, I think it's episodic in seasons as yes. well. Yes,
3: yeah. And I think that just reminds me of, um, like, if this is a question on your heart right now, Donna, there's a, a beautiful, I forget if it was an article or in, like, an essay, among other essays, but I really love the author, Andrew Murray. He writes a lot about prayer, and he wrote one that just so impacted me on um, Jesus Christ as the great intercessor and, like, resting in his, like, he's, pre- like, he's the guy praying, mm-hmm. right? And so we sort of join with him in his intercession, but then there are times, like, when we can rest, but it just means trusting, like, his intercession all the more um, mm-hmm. strongly. Um, I really loved that image. I hadn't really thought about that aspect of Jesus before—him interceding as well.
1: Yeah. that's a question. It's sort of related to that. Um, so I grew up completely different. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so yeah, like opposite experience. Yes. I guess. Um, I'm not going to go into all of that, but one thing I would like to ask about is his healing prayer. Yeah. Because um, you did bring that and. Mm-hmm. I've seen some real damage (laughs) around the way that it's done.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, for example, I had a friend who died of cancer when he was 29 Mm -hmm. and, uh, people prayed. I've actually seen a lot of people that that tradition die with, you know, still a lot of prayer,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: including a friend's mother when, um, when I was a kid. And like, after that, that, that woman died, um, there was like, it was really shattering for the church because they felt like, oh, we didn't have enough faith, oh. you know? And then and then, kind of the same thing around again with this friend. And I remember being in a prayer meeting when someone said, like, let the family not even think about him dying, all this stuff. And I just thought, well, that seems so unhealthy. And he died within three months. Um, so I, I guess like, so the way that I see that related to Donna's question is, how do you know an answer is no? And like, when you say like, we have this responsibility like prayer actually affects something how do you not like say that you know i didn't we didn't pray enough or i didn't pray so therefore god has done this thing and it's it's my fault because i still have those conversations with friends who say like god always wants to heal and it's our responsibility to make that happen and if 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 it doesn't happen that's because of like either that person has some kind of sin or something or or we didn't pray properly, you know. Mm-hmm. So that can be a huge gate to there. Well,
3: so those things are just not true. So um, like the foundations are totally wrong. Like if you think God always wants to heal, mm-hmm. and that you need to conjure up the faith to make Him do it. Mm-hmm. like your one's whole ministry of prayer is based on a lie. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes God heals because he wants to do a demonstration of his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he doesn't. Suffering is a really big part of following our suffering savior. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we pray knowing both. Like there's just no other way. Um, so it's, it's that's so hard. And I think, I don't know. I, I do hate it when God doesn't heal someone that I ask him to heal. <laughs> you know, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Because when I pray, I really want him to heal. Mm-hmm. Um but like i also know that like that's that's not that's not what it means to like live in this world and follow him like sometimes he does it and it's a celebration like other times we weep with each other but like i don't i don't know i don't know what to say other than there's just like that. We need very much to make sure that we are in communities where we can hold before each other all of these truths. Um,
4: all of them.
7: Some, Sometimes the other way around is true too. Like I pray for God to hurt, to hurt some people I really hate and keep bringing them good things. <laughs> Yes, mm. that's what's painful. Mm. <laughs> I guess I don't really want him. I don't really want people to be hurt. Mm. And uh, but I found it sarcastic that I would obsess about. Mm. And it's funny that thirty years, uh, I, somebody did something to me when I was a kid, and mm. this person is still in my head mm. on a daily basis. Mm. I really and I'm mad at myself that I'm still thinking about that person. because mm. it really trick my ego?
4: Mm-hmm. And
7: I, uh, I wonder what should I pray for? I'm, I'm sick and tired from thinking about that person. Um, what would you pray for?
3: Um, I would ask some Christians to help you pray to forgive them.
7: Is there another solution? <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: there is, <laughs> <not laughs> <There> is absolutely <laughs> not for, not for true release from that. Thank, Thank you. God. Does anyone have any other like comments about like what like Liz's comment here?